is we sang in the song, Mercy, there's something amazing about, or um, the song we sang, it's your breath in our lungs, that the breath, the love, the, the fruits of who Jesus was, the fruits of his Holy Spirit live within us to help us be the men, the women, the moms, the husbands, the wives that he's called us to be because we can't do it ourselves. We can't make the word of God happen in our life without the presence of God coming in and activating it. Uh, months and months ago, there was a, a message preached here when potential meets power. You know, we might feel that we're not the husbands we know we should be. We're not the moms we know we should be. But there's potential that sits in all of us. That you have the potential to be what the Word of God says you can be as a dad, as a husband, as a mom, as a wife. But it's up to you because the way that that happens, the way that that's deposited is when we bow our knees to the, our Heavenly Father, we come underneath Him and He fills us with his presence and that power. And then it's that potential that's sitting within us. It activates and then you start to see it manifest in your life. But how much are you willing to surrender? How much are you willing to dig in and find the game plan, find the blueprint for how you're supposed to father your home, to, to mother your home, to be the wife, the husband? Because the world says one way of how we're to raise our kids, do, handle our families, what a relationship looks like. But you have to decipher through all that and dig through all that and get to the source. Go to the timeless wisdom that's worked for over 20 centuries, the Word of God, because that's where the truth's at. Don't you want the truth in your life this morning? Well, quickly, before we uh, jump into the Word, anybody a fan of uh, Steve Harvey and the show Little Big Shots? Anybody follow that? It's an awesome show. Well, uh, my wife, Brianna, she found a, a good little video that will encourage you uh, on this Father's Day this morning. It's hilarious. Kenny, if you want to roll that uh, real quick. My mom said to Papa Harvey's birthday, but no, hey, my father, what Father's Day. To someone who's not my father, it's my papa and not my father. 
two different things. It's my mom and father, and it's my papa. So, if my mom would have married him, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> what Father's Day is for is for all men who are fathers. See, like I call my friends on Father. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess what I was about to say don't mean nothing then, huh? <laughs> but let me say something though. Pop, your papa, he's a pretty nice guy, ain't he? And you do love your papa, right? See, when people are old. You just do nice stuff for them, cause they old. <laughs> See, you're nice to me. Well, you do nice stuff for everyone. <laughs> I do. So, like, let me ask you something. Like, if I'm a father, would you ever say to me, hey, Mr. Harvey, happy Father's Day? If you were my father, I would. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. All right. Trying to explain Father's Day. It's funny. You can go on and watch the rest of the clip there where they bring uh, her uh, grandfather out and she battles through all that. It's hilarious. Uh, but I thought it was just a, a cute representation of, uh, of a child under, trying to understand what Father's Day is. And you know with all of us, as I was watching that and just praying and thinking through the message uh, this morning, what I wanted to encourage you is uh, looking at, at different characteristics of a father. Uh, and what does God's word say of a characteristic of a father is? And, you know, I was looking up just different statistics on uh, what a home or a house looks like when a father is absent, when a father isn't there. And you can go and you can search out these things yourself, but it's it's pretty devastating what can happen in a home or what a home is more prone to when that father is absent. Uh, statistics show that uh, there's 24 million kids in America and one out of every third child doesn't grow up with his, with his or her biological father. And so I think we can look in the world around us that if fathers were to step up and show up and do what God has called them to do along with mothers, focused on the moms on Mother's Day, but this week, let's focus on the fathers, that there's a crisis in the world around us, and the world needs fathers more than ever. You know, I think of my dad's testimony and the things that he went through growing up, not meeting his dad till he was 17, 18 years old, walking into a movie theater, and, and his story of, of, of growing up with uh, a stepdad and, and not encountering his father till later in life and the struggles and the things that he went through to find his identity and his purpose on his life. We all, when you talk about Father's Day, it brings up good things, but it also brings up bad things. Not all of us are fortunate to have a great experience with a father. Or maybe our father was there, he was there present, he put a house over our head and put food on our table but maybe we didn't have a father that was there spiritually or emotionally. And as I dive into this this morning, fathers, I don't want you to put your head down and feel like you failed because there's potential in you no matter what season you're in. God's wanting to get to you to pull that potential out. 
that he meets us right where we're at, and he is full of mercy. But I, I, for me, as I walk into the life of a father one day, I want to build my life on God's word, nothing less and nothing more. God's word is, is the kind of father I want to be, and I think we can all say that this morning, is that we want to be the kind of dads the Bible talks about. But let me just a little heads up, and fathers, you know this, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's work. It's sacrifice. It's servanthood. It goes against the very nature of what our flesh is saying. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, and I want to dive in and look at some of the different hats that fathers wear. Men, we love to wear hats. We got all different kinds of hats we like to wear. But there's different hats that as dads, you got to wear in order to be the father that God speaks of in his word. So I want to look at some of these different hats and the characteristics that come when you have to wear that hat. Because here's the truth, and we talked about it in our, our Mystery of Marriage series, is as you represent uh, is, uh, is we sang in, in the song, your daughter or your son ever sees. And so how you react and how you act is a lot of where they're going to pick up, well, we call him Heavenly Father, so is my Heavenly Father like you? And so you can think of it this way, there is a lot of pressure, and I tip my hat to a lot of you, because it's not easy, and it's a weighty issue. It's a heavy mantle of responsibility that is placed upon a father and upon a dad. And usually when we are, dads, as you're wrestling with it, it's easy not to pick up that mantle of responsibility because it's tough, or I don't understand it, or I don't feel I can be this picture of a perfect dad. But let me tell you, God never called you to be a perfect dad. He called you to be merciful. He called you to be full of compassion. You know, one of my favorite dads in the book of the Bible to look at, and it's a popular story that we know of, is the story of the prodigal son. We, if you've read through it, you know what happened and, and how the, the, the son went and approached his father and said, give me my inheritance. I'm done with his family. I'm done with you. I want my inheritance now. And what that means in the, in the Bible times is basically he stared his dad in the eyes and said, you're dead to me. I'm out of here. Give me my inheritance. And we see that uh, exchange and how it took place where the father, the father could have reacted much differently than he did. If you go and read the story, you see that he gave him the inheritance and then the young man went off and blew it. But the man said, I'm not giving your inheritance. How dare you talk to me? Go back. I'm punishing you. You're grounded. I'm done with you. But he let the process play out, right? And so we see that he gave him the inheritance. And you always got to think, as, as we see, when you read the scripture, that the, the boy, we see what he's doing, the man's doing, but what is happening with the father in that time? You know, he has other kids, other sons, other responsibilities. So he's still living his life, running a family business, taking care of his kids, while his other son, which, if you see the nature of that father, you can tell it absolutely kills him, I'm sure, of what, knowing what his son is doing. There's dads, there's those of you in here, who maybe your kids haven't, aren't following Christ currently, and it kills you, it hurts. Let me tell you, the prodigal son's father can identify with that. And so we see that the prodigal, the prodigal son's father continued just to maintain and trust God and do what he knew to do. Fast forward, you know the story, where one day the boy wakes up, it says he literally was sleeping with the pigs. That's where those decisions had got him. And something clicked in his head, he decided to wake up one day, and he said, 
I, I have nothing else, nowhere to turn, burnt all my bridges. I'm going to go back to my father. So you see, he gets up, he goes back to his father, and then there's this, there's this exchange that takes place. And I'm sure the son, as he's standing there, about to walk onto his father's property and looks off into the distance and see, sees his father doing the daily task and work, he's thinking, how's my father going to react to me now that I'm back? Now that I've threw away his inheritance, I basically told him, you're dead to me. How is my father going to react? Fathers, how would you react in that situation? We see a complete different reaction. And this is really the way that Christ shows us of how we're to react in situations or how the kind of fathers that we're called to be. When the son, son comes back full of shame, full of guilt, dealing with condemnation, he blew it all. And you see he said, you know, I'll, I'll just come and be a slave in your house, Dad. That's what he's thinking that he's entitled to at that point. But we see in a moment, because the father was intentional, it says that the father actually ran to the son. The father ran to the son. And I can tell you, when he's seeing the father run, which in that time, men of that age, you, they don't run. They don't run. And so we see this father running after his son, and I'm sure the boy's face just drops. His heart is pounding. Is he running and he's got something behind his back? And he might, you know, what's, what's going on here? Is, am I being attacked? But it says he's running and he comes and he puts his arms around him, embraces him, throws a robe around him, put his ring on his finger, tells his family to cut the finest calf and we're having a celebration that my son has returned. That goes against our nature of how we would react if one of our children were to do that. But that's what the father does with each and every one of us day after day after day after day. That's the mercy that God has showered upon us. And that's the mercy, the kind of man that I want to be, the man that we should desire to be full of compassion and mercy and loving kindness. But it takes work and it takes practice. It just doesn't happen. It takes pushing away pride because as men, the thing that tries to drown that out is our pride because we don't want to admit we're wrong. We don't want to admit we've made a mistake. But when we can get past that wall and not care, that my, I might be seen in this light or that I've made a mistake, you watch as your heart starts to be transformed. It's amazing when you do studies on pride, the things that it can do in your life. And the prodigal father had a hold of something that he pushed past that and welcomed, welcomed his son back. And now at the same time, you see his other son was livid. He was mad. He's like, why is all this happening? I've been here working hard, doing, being obedient, and here he comes back, and you, make, you celebrate him. The Bible even talks about that he is, he is mad, that younger brother seeing his older brother is mad. And so we even see that the father handled that situation properly. He thought through things, he processed. And so this morning, quickly, I want to look at different hats that as dads, you got to wear in order to be like this prodigal son father, to be the father that Jesus desires for all of us to be and to heal homes. God wants you to be a healer in your home. Think about that. God wants you to be a healer in your home. You know, the first hat is dads that you have to wear is the hat of a student. 
You know, when the mantle of fatherhood or as a husband is placed on your life, you step into a place of leadership. And the thing I've seen, if anything, with about leadership, leaders never stop learning. As a leader, you always have to be learning and have a spirit of a student that I haven't arrived or I know what's best, but you have to constantly be learning. What did they refer to Jesus as in the Bible, as a rabbi, as a teacher? Jesus was a teacher. He was constantly teaching his disciples and those that he preached and ministered to. You know, the thing I was thinking about is, men, it's easy to know our favorite sports teams. We can name every lineup, every uh, athlete on our favorite sports teams by name. We know their numbers. We know their backgrounds, what schools they played at. We're on top of all that. But here's where it gets kind of tough. If I were to ask you, men, do you know the books of the Bible? Do you know the basic tenets of Christianity? What is the Bible all about? It's easy to get, as men, we get excited and we go after these things. There's nothing wrong with it, but you can't neglect spirituality. You can't neglect the Word of God because that's where we build our life on. But it's so easy to get distracted by all these different things coming at us. So we have to be a student of God's Word. Not only a student of God's Word, but men, we have to be a student of our wives. We're constantly learning our wives. Wives, what's her love language? I've learned it's better to be happy than to be right. Anybody there with me? <laughs> you need to be a student of your kids. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, train up a child in the way they should go. I love that part, the way they should go. There's a personality and attributes and characteristic that God has given each and every one of your child, children. Not one child is the same. And so you have to know that child and how to push them forward into their calling. That's your purpose, dads, moms, is to push your children, train them up in the way they should go, to help them discover the things that God has put on their life. And you watch as God gives you the grace and the mercy to do that. The prodigal son's father had to deal with each son differently. They weren't the same. You know, one of the things that your favorite sports team, they know that you're good at different projects or cars you like, things that guys like. It's easier for kids to say, yeah, my dad, he, man, he's a Bengals fan. Or my dad, he's a, a Wildcats fan. But would your kids say, my dad's a fan of Jesus? My dad's a follower of Jesus. Do they see that living out in your home? When they walk in, do they see you always watching TV? Or do they ever have a moment when they walk into your home and they see you with the word of God open? These are the tough truths that as men, we have to evaluate. Are we balancing those things out? Because the thing is with fatherhood or what I experienced growing up, my parents could tell me thing after thing after thing. They could teach me, but really, the, the example your parents set in the home is caught. It's not always taught. It's usually caught, just what we see happening. And we start to, to get a, a picture and an image of, of what's important in life. And so it's wearing the hat of a student. Look what Scripture says. It says, Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. The commandments of God's word, God's truth, is designed to be upon our hearts. Whatever the passions is in your life, 
God wants them to be on your heart. God wants his word to be imprinted on your heart where you know it and you live by it. It's your guiding light when you have to make tough decisions. He wants to build the fruits of the spirit into your life. And so it's the student hat. Number two is the hard hat. Ladies, you might laugh. Yeah, my husband's a hard head. But it's wearing the hard hat. And what I mean by that is, man, families are always under construction. I think every family should have, when you walk into church or when you walk into Kroger, wherever you go, you drop your kids off, there should be caution tape, cones, everything that says caution, family under construction. (laughs) Because we're all a work in progress. But for some reason, there's this idea that as families, when we step into church, everyone's got to shut up, be quiet, and we put on our church faces. But no, we're stepping in, and we're being healed. We're being redeemed. That family's messy. Construction is messy. It's loud. It's dirty. But something is being built. And when you see that finished project, just as the front of our church, when you see that finished project week after week, you've seen progress and how nice things are getting. I had to share a quick story. Our, the, uh, Ronnie, the guy who's been painting uh, all the brick and stuff here at the church, when he was getting over here uh, to the cross, he didn't realize that the lights that behind the cross at night that come up uh, was uh, neon. And there's a converter that sends out way more voltage than electricity does. And so here he is painting with his big, long uh, roller stick. I believe it's metal. And there were some live wires on it where they were taking it apart. And so as he's painting it, one of those wires catches that metal pole, sends a jolt of electricity to him. He gets shocked. And he tells us, my arm was about numb for an hour. And then he comes up to me. He's like, now Garrett, he's a real soft-spoken guy. And he says, I, I think I realize it. I'm like, what's that, Ronnie? There's definitely power in the cross. <laughs> so I thought that was funny. So, men, we got to put on our hard hats. We got to know that Jesus is the, the contractor. We're the contract managers. That we bow our knees to our Heavenly Father, our Abba Father, the one who gives agape love. And it's like he pours it upon us as men, as fathers, as husbands, and then we shower it into the family, into the home. That's the way he's designed it. There's a divine order that God built. And the enemy knew if he could get in families and separate them, get them offended, get them out of God's house, make them think that there's better days elsewhere than in the house of God, then he can rob the plan and the purpose off of that family. Now Jesus says, build your life, build everything you are on the rock, right? Don't build it on sand. Men, when you decide to build the way that you parent, the way that you father, on the word of God, that is the rock. Everything else is sand. And we know that when storms come, what happens? It gets washed out. But it's the rock that stays strong. Playing on with Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, impress them upon your children. A part of building, you're hammering that, you're building the word of God into your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, look at that. That's a 24-7 mission right there of building the Word of God into your home, of men setting the example that it's okay, it's, it's church is important, 
that praying is important. That the things of God isn't weird or it's hard to understand, but it's, there's value on it. It works. Going on, the third hat is the, the hat of a coach. Now, anyone who's played sports or you've experienced a great coach and you've experienced bad coaches, am I talking to the right people? You know the difference between a good and bad coach. I remember uh, uh, my freshman year of basketball, I had a coach, and uh, it was really my first experience when you step up into a new level and intensity of sports and you're trying to, to prove your way and make your way in. And uh, I can remember I was like at that sixth and seventh man position. So I was the underdog and I was fighting, I'm going to get a starting position. So you, you, know, you try to be the guy that's the first one there, the last one to leave. Do a little suck up to your coach. Hey, coach, you know, you need some water. You see him in the hallway, and you say, man, you're looking good today. <laughs> and uh, I can remember that for some reason how this, this coach's style was is whenever I felt I got into the game, when I made one mistake, he would call a timeout or, or for some reason swap me out. One mistake. It's like, how do you learn? How do you move forward? How do you even figure out what it's all about when you don't even have room to make mistakes. And so it was literally every mistake I would make, I felt would be pulled out and someone else would be pulled in. Where halfway through the season, what I started to happen is I was more concerned about making a mistake than playing as a team member, doing, executing the offense, the defense. Or I was more concerned about making mistakes. And sometimes dads and parents, you can do the same thing. Where you're helicoptering all the time, and you're looking and you're calling things out all the time in your kids where they're just more concerned, like, oh my gosh, I don't want to displease mom, I don't want to displease dad. I feel like I'm always making a mistake. But there's a healthy balance there where you encourage. What do good coaches do? They encourage. They call out the greatness in you. You can think of a good coach or a good teacher in your life that made a huge difference because they simply encouraged you. And fathers, moms, we encourage your kids. Encourage them, call the potential and the greatness out of them. I like this. A coach motivates and disciplines. A good coach doesn't, isn't condescending, but is constructive. You know, there's a, amazing teachable moments as parents that you get to experience every day with kids. And do you take those moments, because God gives you, gives you those moments, gives you those blessings to be constructive and to help form and train that child up into godliness, into righteousness. Capitalize on those moments that God is giving you. Because it's those moments as a coach, when they see that you're struggling with left-hand layups like I did, where they can pull you aside and say, hey, here's the form or here's the proper thing. Or a bad coach could say, Cusick, get off the court, you're not getting it. There's all those different styles, all those different moments add up into how you train your children. And the thing is, you might not have physical children, but you're still a coach. You're still imparting into the lives of children. You being here a part of the church, you take on a mantle of being a spiritual father over kids, of being a spiritual mother over children. It's not just those with biological kids that play these roles. Each and every one of us should take the burden and the responsibility and the weight of imparting into the next generation. So we have the student hat, we have the hard hat, and we have the coach hat. 
Lastly, it's, it's being the chief of your family. And you can picture one of those Native American headdresses on. I'm like, man, I wish I would, could have found one. I could have put it on for you. Preach in a little bit. But understanding, it, here's the thing when it comes to different roles, is a man and is a woman. You know, lots of debates, lots of tension up in the air right now in the society we live in of what roles a man is supposed to play, what roles a woman is supposed to play. And any new TV show or different things you turn on, you can see like how they portray men and how they portray women. It's slowly getting away from the way the word of God or what a man of God or a woman of God, a mother of God, a, a father of God is. But here, here's something I want you to get. Is when it comes to roles, it's we're equal in form but unique in function. As men and women, we're equal in form but unique in function. What does that mean? Men don't have babies. That's a function that men don't do. But a woman, that's a blessing and something beautiful that God has designed. And when you get in the Word of God, you see the different roles and the functions that a man does and that a woman does. And when they're both done according to God's Word, you see the blessing of it in your families, in your workplace, in your children. And so it's taking the time to dig in, get the blueprint, and start activating it into your life. On that basketball team, if I didn't run the offense properly, or if as a team we didn't run the offense properly, it was going to be a hot mess out there. But when we knew the offense, we could do it without thinking about it. It just, we could do it in our sleep. There's something about when you get in that rhythm. And God designs all of us, has designed all of us to be in a rhythm. Because you start disciplining your life. You start building your life on the word of God. And before you know it, a rhythm starts to happen where you're getting up, you're spending time in God's word, and then you're able to execute and lead your family throughout the day. And so there's something powerful that happens when you know the game plan. Because when you don't know the game plan, you're most likely going to be riding the bench until you get the game plan. But for me, my personality was if I knew I was on the bench, it put a fight, an underdog fight in me to try to get up off the bench and get in the game. God wants all of you to be in the game no matter how you're parenting, where you're at. Get in God's word and figure out the right way to do it. What the timeless wisdom says works. So it's, it's wearing your chief hat. Again, look what scripture says. Ephesians 5.23, it says, For the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Have you ever looked at yourself, Father, as a Savior in your family? presenting Christ to your family, again, that you represent Jesus Christ in your family unit. And then God gives us the church to reinforce the word of God in your family. And so I know it can be heavy, it's tough. But look at how Jesus did ministry, how he did life, how he handled a situation, and say, Jesus, give me the mercy. Bow low before him. I need your fresh mercy this morning to be like Jesus in my family, to raise my kids, to do all that parenting entails because parenting is one of the toughest jobs that exists. I can remember as a kid watching my parents having to make decisions. And here's another thing, an attribute of a good coach, is if you had a bunch of coaches and they were all telling each player something different and weren't unified, 
you're going to have a mess out there. But there's something powerful when as parents, you present a unified front. Because here's the thing, dads, if you don't wear the, the hat of the chief, someone else is going to wear it. And we look at, fam- there's different families we know of or that we've seen where you can tell the kids run the house. They're the ones wearing that chief hat. Because the dad hasn't picked it up, the mother might pick it up. Uh, you might just say, I don't want to wear it so a teacher can pick it up or a sport coach can pick it up. Men, we have to pick up the hat. But when we see the hat, we see the responsibility, we see all that comes with it, and it can begin to feel overwhelming. But it's each and every day, it's waking up, even if you're fearful, even if you don't feel like you can measure up or you can do it, or you have kids that call you out or a wife that you don't feel supports you, regardless, you pick it up and you trust God, that he's going to give you everything you know to lead in compassion and mercy, give instruction. And so as, as parents, whenever you, you know, you always see the kids that do it, they're like, well, I'm going to go ask dad. He's always the sucker. And then you go over and you ask dad, and we would do it all the time with our parents. We're like, okay, come on. Mom, she told us no, but let's go ask dad. We'll, we'll, we'll pull all the, all the little tricks out. But what we started to see is, man, they got, how did they already know we were going to do this? They picked up on that real quick. And they would always try to have a unified front. That when we would ask one of them something, they would say, okay, time out. They'd go find mom or they'd go find dad, talk about it. And they'd both come back and say, here's what we decided. So they shut that down real quick. It's important that you operate in unity together. And so dads, I want to encourage you that wherever you find yourself, pick up these hats. You know, another hat we could even talk about is the hat of romance. Are you still pursuing your wives? Are you pursuing your children? You know, a lot of their, the identity that boys and girls find or the, the decisions they make when they get up in their teenage years, when they go toward pursuing relationships, the value that you've placed into their lives has a lot to do with the decisions they make when a, a boy pursues your daughter or guys, when you start to pursue women. What, however they see how you've pursued each other, is a lot of the idea of what they think marriage or what relationships is all about. So again, I'm trying to tear back things where you see the heaviness and the importance of how you love each other because the best way you can love your kids, and, and this is so true, I remember hearing this taught, the best way that you can love your kids' dads is how you love your mom or how you love your wife. And the best way, wives, you can love your kids is how you love your husband. That speaks more, that is caught more than anything else can be taught is how they see that rhythm and that unity happening. And so if you have something that you're in disagreement with, don't sit there and blow it all out in front of your kids. Go behind closed doors, deal with it, and then you come back out and you have a unified front. And so it's thinking and processing and not just being emotion-led. Because the prodigal son could have easily snapped, could have easily went a different direction, could have listened to his flesh, the things that want to rise up when we feel offended, hurt, and angry. But he chose to listen to the Spirit of God. And that's where his parents, his fathers, if you choose to wake up every morning and listen to the Spirit of God, you're going to have the grace and the mercy that you need. And you're going to find the ability that it's not so hard after all putting on these hats. 
and living out this role. Because if you don't understand what these hats are, the world is full of advice, is full of ways to tell you that work. But don't underestimate the position and the mantle and the responsibility that God has given you. That is your greatest ministry that you will ever be a part of, is being in this order, loving God, being a husband, and being a father. It's the greatest ministry God gives all of us, and it's vice versa, as wives and as mothers. And anything, when that stuff goes out of order, you start to see confusion and chaos start to happen in the house. But when you make a priority to keep those things in that order, the order that God designed it, yeah, it's still going to be messy because you're under construction, but you're going to see the grace of God operate in everything. And so again, like I started off, whenever you touch things of fatherhood or motherhood, there's always a range of mixed of emotions because of what we felt we've experienced as we grew up. But the thing that I've always heard is the thing that you see in your parents that you didn't like, use that as training to do something different when you raise kids. Use that as, take the pain that you experienced growing up and use that as the fuel to do something different. Instead of staying beat down or soppy or wanting to be entitled or just pitiful, Use it as fuel to do something different. And that's with anything in life. When you feel life has knocked you down or you feel you've been set back or you've been done wrong, use it as fuel to do something different. Don't stay in that pit. Get out of it and do something different. The potential sits in all of you. Are you going to allow the power of God to bring it out? That's on all of us. It's a question we all have to answer. And I tip my hat to all of you dads. And we're blessed with so many awesome dads here. I love all of you. And so I want us this morning, I just want us to stand. I want us to pray. And what's the way Jesus taught us to pray? I love it. How did it start off? Our Father. This is a prayer as a father that you can be praying, as a parent that you can be praying. That when you wake up every morning and you do your devotion or you do your time with God, let these words, let this prayer come off of your mouth and ask your heavenly Father for all the grace, for your daily bread, Don't you love that? Give us this day our daily bread. That you would have the bread to be able to feed yourself, to feed your spouse, to feed your children. So if you close your eyes with me, I just want to pray for you. Father, we thank you that you love us. That we're all that we say you are, Father. God, I pray that you would just begin to deposit identity, purpose. You would encourage dads that you always meet us right where we're at. In fact, you run to us. Father, to dads who feel they've dropped the ball or feel that they've fallen short, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would impart mercy into their lives. God, that you would heal the broken areas when regret tries to come up.
when condemnation tries to battle them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would bring healing because we all deal with brokenness. We're all under construction. God, that we would try to put down this image we try to create and we would just get real and raw with ourselves. God, that we would be, as David said, that we would desire to be men after your own heart, Father. I just pray healing in every man, every dad, every husband. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you delight in showing mercy. Something you delight in, something that you want to do. It's not it's hard for you to do. It's something you delight in doing. So right now as a church, if we could come together and pray the Lord's prayer over our lives, over our families. Father, we thank you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you. We worship you. We thank you, God, that we're all on a healing journey. God, I pray as we go from here this week, God, that you would capture us, that we would see that you're wanting to do a little surgery in some areas of our lives to help redeem us and restore us. Father, we love you. We thank you for the men and the fathers in this house, those that are seeking you and pursuing you and, and lead, trying to lead their families in a way that you desire. God, encourage each and every father this morning that the world needs godly men and godly fathers to rise up and to take this mantle and to wear these hats and to trust you along the process. Jesus, we love you and we honor you as our heavenly father this morning. We thank you for your love and for your mercy. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen, amen. You can be seated. Quickly before we worship God and the tithe and offering, uh, Throughout the week, we send out some videos of uh, rescue Christians. Over Easter, we raised over $2,500 to rescue five families. So the rescue Christians has uh, showed us some of those families and, and that we were able to rescue. So I want you to watch this video um, as they give us a little shout out as a church to let them know kind of where they're at, where they were, and share their story. So Troy, if you want to leave my mic on, it's translated, but kind of hard to, to read the words, so I just want to read uh, the words to you. Kenny, you can go ahead and roll it. So it says, Pakistan is the largest Islamic nation in the world, where 95% of the population are Muslims, and the remaining 5% are Christians and Hindus. So most of the families we rescue work in these brick kilns, and they're indebted, and there's... Uh, business leaders that trap these families uh, with high interest where they can never escape out of these kilns so they're left working uh,
to release their debt. So it says, my name is Islam, and this is my wife, and I have three children. Because I've been doing work in the kiln for, for the last 16 years. And before that, I've asked for some loan from the factory owner, but he did not give me a loan. So somebody helped me in getting a loan in the kiln. The loan which I had taken from the kiln became doubled instead of coming to an end. It says they did not allow us to go to any happy or sad event and did not even let us take a leave on Sundays. So they took, made us work Sundays. During the three months of rainy season, they used to give us a small amount of loan, but made that amount double. They not even let us go to work somewhere else and made the loan double. They used to pay us weekly and deducted the money from the amount, but did not mention the deduct amount from the accounts register. We were not educated and we did not know anything about the accounts, so they used and increased our loans only and it never came to an end. And it says so they were basically in slavery and we're going to have to continue working the rest of their lives. So I'm thankful to rescue Christians and I'm also thankful to Gathering Place who helped me and set us free from the kiln of slavery. May the Lord Jesus be with you, them and bless them. And so we see that after we were able to rescue this family as a church, uh, he was able to start his own business. Him and his family, their debts were released and they were given a new life. Um, so I don't know about you, but and when I watched it, it, it just brought me to tears. And we were able, this church here in northern Kentucky, to extend our hand all the way to Pakistan and pull, give hope to people who have no hope. And so there's four other families in their videos that we'll show you um, throughout uh, the next few months. Uh, but aren't you thankful that we got to play a part in rescuing these families? Well, happy Father's Day. I love all of you.